Chapter Twenty Nine of the Arabian Nights Entertainments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Arabian Nights Entertainments by Andrew Lang. Chapter Twenty Nine. Nureddin and the Fair Persian. Balsora was the capital of a kingdom long tributary to the Caliph. During the time of the Caliph Harun al-Rashid, the king of Balsora, who was his cousin, was called Sinebi. Not thinking one vizier enough for the administration of his estates, he had two, named Kazan and Sawi. Kazan was kind, generous, and liberal and took pleasure in obliging, as far as in him lay, those who had business with him. Throughout the entire kingdom there was no one who did not esteem and praise him as he deserved. Zawi was quite a different character, and repelled everyone with whom he came in contact. He was always gloomy and, in spite of his great riches, so miserly that he denied himself even the necessaries of life. What made him particularly detested was the great aversion he had to Kassan, of whom he never ceased to speak evil to the king. One day, while the king amused himself talking with his two viziers and other members of the council, the conversation turned on female slaves. While some declared that it sufficed for a slave to be beautiful, Others, and Kazan was among the number, maintained that beauty alone was not enough, but that it must be accompanied by wit, wisdom, modesty, and, if possible, knowledge. The king not only declared himself to be of this opinion, but charged Kazan to procure him a slave who should fulfill all these conditions. So he, who had been of the opposite side, and was jealous of the honor done to Kazan, said, Sire! It will be very difficult to find a slave as accomplished as your majesty desires, and, if she is to be found, she will be cheap if she costs less than ten thousand gold pieces. Sawi, answered the king, you seem to find that a very great sum. For you it may be so, but not for me. And forthwith he ordered his grand treasurer, who was present, and sent ten thousand gold pieces to Kazan for the purchase of the slave. As soon then as Kazan returned home he sent for the dealers in female slaves, and charged them directly they had found such a one as he described to inform him. They promised to do the utmost, and no day passed that they did not bring a slave for his inspection, but none was found without some defect. At length, early one morning, while Kazan was on his way to the king's palace, a dealer throwing himself in this way announced eagerly that a Persian merchant, arrived late the previous evening, had a slave to sell whose wit and wisdom were equal to her incomparable beauty. Kazan, overjoyed at this news, gave orders that the slave should be brought for his inspection on his return from the palace. The dealer appearing at the appointed hour, Kazan found the slave beautiful beyond his expectations, and immediately gave her the name of the Fair Persian. Being a man of great wisdom and learning, 
he perceived in the short conversation he had with her that he would seek in vain another slave to surpass her in any of the qualities required by the king, and therefore asked the dealer what price the merchant put upon her. Sir, was the answer, for less than ten thousand gold pieces he will not let her go. He declares that, what with masters for her instruction, and for bodily exercises not to speak of clothing and nourishment, he has already spent that sum upon her. She is in every way fit to be the slave of a king. She plays every musical instrument, she sings, she dances, she makes verses, in fact there is no accomplishment in which she does not excel. Kazan, who was better able to judge of her merits than the dealer, wishing to bring the matter to a conclusion, sent for the merchant and said to him, It is not for myself that I wish to buy your slave, but for the king. Her price, however, is too high. Sir, replied the merchant, I should esteem it an honour to present her to his majesty, did it become a merchant to do such a thing. I ask no more than the sum it has cost me to make her such as she is. Kazan, not wishing to bargain, immediately had the sum counted out and given to the merchant, who before withdrawing said, Sir, as she is destined for the king, I would have you observe that she is extremely tired with a long journey, and before presenting her to his majesty you would do well to keep her a fortnight in your own house, and to see that a little care is bestowed upon her. The sun has tanned her complexion, but when she has been two or three times to the bath, and is fittingly dressed, you will see how much her beauty will be increased. Kazan thanked the merchant for his advice, and determined to follow it. He gave the beautiful Persian an apartment near to that of his wife, whom he charged to treat her as befitting a lady destined for the king, and to order for her the most magnificent garments. Before bidding adieu to the fair Persian, he said to her, No happiness can be greater than what I have procured for you. Judge for yourself, you now belong to the king. I have, however, to warn you of one thing. I have a son who, though not wanting in sense, is young, foolish and headstrong, and I charge you to keep him at a distance. The Persian thanked him for his advice and promised to profit by it. Nureddin, for so the vizier's son was named, went freely in and out of his mother's apartments. He was young, well-made and agreeable, and had the gift of charming all with whom he came in contact. As soon as he saw the beautiful Persian, though aware that she was destined for the king, he let himself be carried away by her charms, and determined at once to use every means in his power to retain her for himself. The Persian was equally captivated by Nureddin, and said to herself, The vizier does me too great honour in buying me for the king. I should esteem myself very happy if he could give me to his son. Nureddin availed himself of every opportunity to gaze upon her beauty, to talk and laugh with her, and never would have left her sight if his mother had not forced him. Some time having elapsed, 
on account of the long journey since the beautiful persian had been to the bath five or six days after her purchase the vizier's wife gave orders that the bath should be heated for her and that her own female slaves should attend her there and afterward should array her in a magnificent dress that had been prepared for her her toilet completed the beautiful persian came to present herself to the vizier's wife who hardly recognized her so greatly was her beauty increased kissing her hand the beautiful slave said madam i do not know how you find me in this dress that you have had prepared for me your women assure me that it suits me so well that they hardly knew me if it is the truth they tell me and not flattery it is to you i owe the transformation my daughter answered the vizier's wife they do not flatter you i myself hardly recognize you the improvement is not due to the dress alone but largely to the beautifying effects of the bath i am so struck by its results that i would try it on myself acting forthwith on this decision she ordered two little slaves during her absence to watch over the beautiful persian and not to allow nureddin to enter should he come she had no sooner gone than he arrived and not finding his mother in her apartment would have sought her in that of the persian the two little slaves barred the entrance saying that his mother had given orders that he was not to be admitted taking each by an arm he put them out of the anteroom and shut the door then they rushed to the bath informing their mistress with shrieks and tears that nureddin had driven them away by force and gone in this news caused great consternation to the lady who dressing herself as quickly as possible hastened to the apartment of the fair persian to find that nureddin had already gone out much astonished to see the vizier's wife enter in tears the persian asked what misfortune had happened what exclaimed the lady who asked me that knowing that my son nureddin has been alone with you but madam inquired the persian what harm is there in that how has my husband not told you that you are this time for the king certainly but nureddin has just been to tell me that his father has changed his mind and has bestowed me upon him i believed him and so great is my affection for nureddin that i would willingly pass my life with him would to heaven exclaimed the wife of the vizier that what you say were true but nureddin has deceived you and his father would sacrifice him in vengeance for the wrong he has done so saying she wept bitterly and all her slaves wept with her kazan entering shortly after this was much astonished to find his wife and her slaves in tears and the beautiful persian greatly perturbed he inquired the cause but for some time no answer was forthcoming when his wife was at length sufficiently calm to inform him of what had happened his rage and mortification knew no bounds wringing his hands and rending his beard he exclaimed wretched son thou destroyest not only thyself but thy father the king will shed not only thy blood but mine his wife tried to console him saying do not torment thyself 
With the sale of my jewels I will obtain ten thousand gold pieces, and with this sum you will buy another slave. Do not suppose, replied her husband, that it is the loss of the money that affects me. My honor is at stake, and that is more precious to me than all my wealth. You know that Zawi is my mortal enemy. He will relate all this to the king, and you will see the consequences that will ensue. My lord, said his wife, I am quite aware of Sawi's baseness, and that he is capable of playing you this malicious trick. But how can he or anyone else know what takes place in this house? Even if you are suspected and the king accuses you, you have only to say that, after examining the slave, you did not find her worthy of his majesty. Reassure yourself, and send to the dealers, saying that you are not satisfied, and wished him to find you another slave. This advice, appearing reasonable, Kazan decided to follow it, but his wrath against the son did not abate. Nureddin dared not appear all that day, and fearing to take refuge with his usual associates in case his father should seek him there, he spent the day in a secluded garden, where he was not known. He did not return home till after his father had gone to bed, and went out early next morning before the vizier awoke, and these precautions he kept up during an entire month. His mother, though knowing very well that he returned to the house every evening, dared not ask her husband to pardon him. At length she took courage and said, my lord, I know that a son could not act more basely towards his father than Nureddin has done towards you, but after all will you no pardon him? Do you not consider the harm you may be doing yourself, and fear that malicious people seeking the cause of your estrangement may guess the real one? Madam, replied the vizier, what you say is very just. But I cannot pardon Nureddin before I have mortified him as he deserves. He will be sufficiently punished, answered the lady, if you do as I suggest. In the evening, when he returns home, lie in wait for him and pretend that you will slay him. I will come to his aid, and while pointing out that you only yield his life at my supplications, you can force him to take the beautiful Persian on any conditions you please. Kazan agreed to follow this plan, and everything took place as arranged. On Nureddin's return, Kazan pretended to be about to slay him, but yielding to his wife's intercession, said to his son, You owe your life to your mother. I pardon you on her intercession, and on the conditions that you take the beautiful Persian for your wife, and not your slave, that you never sell her, nor put her away. Nureddin, not hoping for so great indulgence, thanked his father, and vowed to do as he desired. Kazan was at great pains frequently to speak to the king of the difficulties attending the commission he had given him, but some whispers of what had actually taken place did reach Sawi's ears. More than a year after these events the minister took a chill, leaving the bath while still heated to go out on important business. This resulted in inflammation of the lungs, which rapidly increased. 
The vizier, feeling that his end was at hand, sent for Nureddin and charged him with his dying breath never to part with a beautiful Persian. Shortly afterwards he expired, leaving universal regret throughout the kingdom. Rich and poor alike followed him to the grave. Nureddin showed every mark of the deepest grief at his father's death, and for long refused to see anyone. At length a day came when, one of his friends being admitted, urged him strongly to be consoled, and to resume his former place in society. This advice Nureddin was not slow to follow, and soon he formed little society of ten young men all about his own age, with whom he spent all his time in continual feasting and merrymaking. Sometimes the fair Persian consented to appear at these festivities, but she disapproved of this lavish expenditure, and did not scruple to warn Nureddin of the probable consequences. He, however, only laughed at her advice, saying that his father had always kept him in too great constraint, and that now he rejoiced at his new-found liberty. What added to the confusion in his affairs was that he refused to look into his accounts with his steward, sending him away every time he appeared with his book. See only that I live well, he said, and do not disturb me about anything else. Not only did Nureddin's friends constantly partake of his hospitality, but in every way they took advantage of his generosity. Everything of his that they admired whether land, houses, baths, or any other source of his revenue, he immediately bestowed on them. In vain the Persian protested against the wrong he did himself. He continued to scatter with the same lavish hand. Throughout one entire year Nureddin did nothing but amuse himself and dissipate the wealth his father had taken such pains to acquire. The year had barely elapsed, when one day, as they sat at table, there came a knock at the door. The slaves having been sent away, Nureddin went to open it himself. One of his friends had risen at the same time, but Nureddin was before him, and finding the intruder to be the steward, he went out and closed the door. The friend, curious to hear what passed between them, hid himself behind the hangings, and heard the following words. My lord! said the steward. I beg a thousand pardons for interrupting you, but what I have long foreseen has taken place. Nothing remains of the sums you gave me for your expenses, and all other sources of income are also at end, having been transferred by you to others. If you wish me to remain in your service, furnish me with the necessary funds, else I must withdraw. So great was Nureddin's consternation that he had not a word to say in reply. The friend, who had been listening behind the curtain, immediately hastened to communicate the news to the rest of the company. If this is so, they said, we must cease to come here. Nureddin, re-entering at that moment, they plainly saw, in spite of his efforts to dissemble, that what they had heard was the truth. One by one they rose, and each with a different excuse left the room, till presently he found himself alone, though little suspecting the resolution his friends had taken. Then, seeing the beautiful Persian, he confided to her the statement of the steward, with many expressions of regret for his own carelessness. 
Had I but followed your advice, beautiful Persian, he said, all this would not have happened, but at least I have this consolation that I have spent my fortune in the company of friends who will not desert me in an hour of need. Tomorrow I will go to them, and amongst them they will lend me a sum sufficient to start in some business. Accordingly, next morning early, Nureddin went to seek his ten friends, who all lived in the same street. Knocking at the door of the first and chief, the slave who opened it left him to wait in the hall while he announced his visit to his master. Nureddin, he heard him exclaim quite audibly, tell him every time he calls that I am not at home. The same thing happened at the second door, and also at the third, and so on with all the ten. Nureddin, much mortified, recognized too late that he had confided in false friends, who abandoned him in his hour of need. Overwhelmed with grief, he sought consolation from the beautiful Persian. Alas, my lord, she said, at last you are convinced of the truth of what I foretold. There is now no other resource left but to sell your slaves and your furniture. First then he sold the slaves, and subsisted for a time of the proceeds after that the furniture was sold, and as much of it was valuable it sufficed for some time. Finally this resource also came to an end, and again he sought counsel from the beautiful Persian. My lord, she said, I know that the late vizier your father bought me for ten thousand gold pieces, and though I have diminished in value since, I should still fetch a large sum. Do not therefore hesitate to sell me, and with the money you obtain go and establish yourself in business in some distant town. Charming Persian, answered Nureddin, how could I be guilty of such baseness? I would die rather than part from you, whom I love better than my life. My lord, she replied, I am well aware of your love for me, which is only equalled by mine for you, but a cruel necessity obliges us to seek the only remedy. Nureddin, convinced at length of the truth of her words, yielded and reluctantly led her to the slave market, where, showing her to a dealer named Hagi Hassan, he inquired her value. Taking them into a room apart, Hagi Hassan exclaimed as soon as she had unveiled, My lord, is not this the slave your father bought for ten thousand pieces? On learning that it was so, he promised to obtain the highest possible price for her. Leaving the beautiful Persian shut up in the room alone, he went out to seek the slave merchants, announcing to them that he had found the pearl among slaves, and asking them to come and put a value upon her. As soon as they saw her, they agreed that less than four thousand gold pieces could not be asked. Hagi Hassan, then closing the door upon her, began to offer her for sale calling out who will bid four thousand gold pieces for the persian slave before any of the merchants had bid saoui happened to pass that way and judging that it must be a slave of extraordinary beauty rode up to hagi hassan and desired to see her now it was not the custom to show a slave to a private bidder but as no one dared to disobey the vizier his request was granted 
As soon as Saouy saw the Persian he was so struck by her beauty that he immediately wished to possess her, and not knowing that she belonged to Nureddin, he desired Hagi Hassan to send for the owner and to conclude the bargain at once. Hagi Hassan then sought Nureddin and told him that his slave was going far below her value and that if Saouy bought her he was capable of not paying the money. What you must do, he said, is to pretend that you had no real intention of selling your slave, and only swore you would in a fit of anger against her. When I present her to Saoui, as if with your consent, you must step in, and with blows begin to lead her away. Nureddin did as Hagi Hassan advised, to the great wrath of Saoui, who, riding straight at him, endeavoured to take the beautiful Persian from him by force. Nureddin, letting her go, seized Saoui's horse by the bridle, and, encouraged by the applause of the bystanders, dragged him to the ground, beat him severely, and left him in the gutter streaming with blood. Then, taking the beautiful Persian, he returned home amidst the acclamations of the people, who detested Saoui so much that they would neither interfere in his behalf nor allow his slaves to protect him. End of chapter 29